Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. It's Cinco de Drinco. It's Taco (laughs) Tuesday. And we're all locked down because of a virus that sounds like a Mexican beer. So if that's not an excuse to uh, have a shot of tequila every time we say Buffett or Berkshire, Oh, God. Just drink yourself into an alcoholic coma. Drink until the market makes sense, is what I say. <laughs> or airlines, for that matter. <laughs> it's Australian for portfolio management. Uh, I'm Tobias Carlyle. This is, what is it? Value After Value Hours. After Hours. F- forgot where I was for a moment there. With my amigos Bill Brewster and Jake Taylor. Uh, only one topic today. We're just going to chew over Berkshire's annual meeting. Uh, who wants to? Who who's got the hottest take? Bill Brewster, what's your what's your Bill. hot hot take? That uh, I'm the go-to Buffett analyst, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, look, I, I think the hot takes are interesting. Uh, here, I'm going to open up some of my notes so that I can. Was was through. that the most bearish you've ever seen, Buffett? I don't know if it was bearish per se. What I subdued. Would, yeah, I mean, what I thought was super cool about that meeting was you had a real chance to see a guy who is a legitimate genius think through a crisis, um, and I think that he was as candid as I've seen him. I really like that there were no life questions. I'm glad that there was no random person at like I think Becky Quick did an incredible job keeping him going and on point. Uh, I really liked that Greg was there. I didn't think that I would like not having Charlie there. I thought that that would really taint it for me. Uh, it was a great insight and and sort of a peek into the guy that's controlling a lot of internal capital allocation. He did a lot um, of uh, Charlie-ish kind of stuff too. He did the Charlie yeah, stick. He did. Yeah, he oh, definitely. No way. I'm I'm taking I'm fading that take hard. That was that was not Charlie at all. Yeah, he did a few. I have but, nothing to add. Okay, like one yeah. joke that everyone knew was coming. I mean, that's not that's not Charlie. I mean, I I thought a couple of the things that he said that I would like to go back and look at. I'd like to understand why he said the FDIC could have changed the Great Depression. I didn't. I mean, I don't have enough of a sense of history to understand why he thought that that could have made such a difference. And it made me think through sort of how policy can smooth some of the uh, things that we're going through right now. Can go the other way too. Yeah, well, and it's not without consequence, right? I mean, he said a number of times, you know, we don't know what the outcome of all of this is. And I guess, you know, for me to just see him up there talking about probabilities – all, and and how wide he thinks the distribution of potential outcomes are and how concerned he is about permanent changes of behavior coming out of this, I think is pretty interesting. Um, a lot of, I mean, travel for me is something that I really don't think is going to change, but he sort of forced me to sit down and think about like, okay, well, how confident am, am I in that? And what are other alternatives? So I just, I just thought it was a really cool way to see him think through, through a crisis, and uh, you know, obviously he missed the bottom and he's a loser, and the world has passed him by. But um, I don't it, think he's missed nice the bottom. To be able to watch it. No, no. Well, you, you haven't checked uh, CNBC or Twitter lately, so I, I, I don't think we've seen the bottom yet. So I don't see how he could have missed it. Well, that's because uh, you're not on Twitter. Well, you are on Twitter. You're just not listening. But yes, that's true. I, I'm not listening. <laughs> I mean, to look, that's you. Uh, you know, it's um, I don't know what what we were talking about before we got on. I, I don't know how you can square the policy offset to 
I I think I just saw that uh, the White House is thinking 16% unemployment by the end of April. Um, I Starbucks, there are stores that are open in China. I'm pretty sure their comps are off 35%, which is an improvement from down 90. So I guess it's going in the right direction. Good growth. But it, yeah, that's right. So, you know, what is uh, what does the world look like? Does it create permanent inflections and in growth rates? How do people adjust behavior? I just think, you know, it was an, an interesting meeting. I don't think the guy's a sage at predicting this stuff, but I thought it was a cool peek to listen to him think through it. Yeah, I think what it maybe it highlights to me is that he's thinking in probabilities like you're supposed to. And we just added a huge left tail, very high consequence probability distribution both greater magnitude and frequency because of this. So that impairs the the entire implied expected return. So he has lowered his expected return, I think, for a lot of things. And I think that is probably shows up most evidently in what he knows the best, which is Berkshire stock itself and him not doing buybacks much. Uh, I think that reflects a lower valuation in his mind of intrinsic value for, for Berkshire stock. Um, whereas everyone else is thinking in binaries that this is either like good or bad or solved or broken or bull or bear. That's not, I don't think that's how he thinks about it. So I think that's a good lesson I think for all of us to take right now. Were you, uh, a little bit, uh, how did you take the news that they hadn't done much in the way of buybacks because, they were worried that 137 billion, whatever it is, might not be enough. It didn't bother me. Um, the other thing he talked about was the optionality of the cash, and I think that's another another huge data point there. That like he's that's him kind of telegraphing. I think that I think I'm going to be able to put this cash to work at much more favorable rates than buying back my own stock at you know whatever 1.2 ish or price to book at this point. So I, it doesn't bother me at all. Like who, who am I to call out Buffett on, you know, buying something that he knows better than anyone. I don't mean so much criticizing him. I just mean the implications of what he has said there. Like that, that really was the thing that I took away the most that they didn't do a great deal as the market fell, didn't buy back a great deal of stock, didn't go and buy a lot of stock, really just sold some stuff. Very, very uncharacteristic for Buffett. Like you look at every other time that the market's gone down, they've been pretty aggressive through those periods. That was the thing that really gave me the fear. Like I tweeted this thing out yesterday. My my Sunday scaries, my Monday scaries was that thought that Buffett's running around with $137 billion and worried that that might not be enough given that the, they got some huge cash flows going into that business too. Yeah, I think... In general, they're they're probably in pretty good shape uh, internal cash flow wise. I wouldn't expect a ton of of money to be consumed inside the business at this point. Um, like that excess capital absorbed by basically internal losses. Um, I could be wrong, but you know you never know what's hiding under insurance. That's why it's so important to trust whoever is the underwriter, um, just like a bank. But you know they're they're railroad. You know, and I guess if if we get if things get too bad, there could definitely there's a lot of fixed costs there, but it's not as bad as other businesses. Um, energy, I think, is probably relatively good shape. Um, I don't know. I'm not as not not oil. It's it's like solar panels and stuff that have long term uh, purchase power agreements or power purchase agreements. So anyway, some pipeline exposure. But yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, they've got a lot of, they have retail, they have, they have other things too that are, are definitely problematic, but it's not the, this coronavirus, I don't think came after them as hard as some other businesses in general. Well, and also, I mean, the, I just, I don't think that we have build people out. I think that we have gotten through a liquidity crisis. And now on the back end of it, you're going to have balance sheets that are very impaired. And you're going to have some reasonably good businesses that, that have bad capital structures on the back end of this. And, you know, 
what does a business owner in January feel like if the current iteration of the world is continuing? Do they still want to have their family's risk on the line or do they want to de-risk a little bit? Do they want to enter some sort of pilot J type transaction where they can sell 20 some odd percent this year and then run it for five years and then sell the rest? You know, I mean, like there's there could be transactions out there nine to 12 months down the road just because he didn't bottom tick March. I mean, look, I wanted a bigger buyback. I mean, you know, but, um, after I listened to him talk, you know, I want my wife to do certain things. She wants me to do certain things. We don't do them to keep your, you know, this can stay above board here, but it's like, you know, investment and partnership. It's a, it's like a marriage, right? And there's going to be periods over a long-term holding where you disagree with your manager. I think after he explained how he was thinking about it, it's hard to call it negligent. It may be something that I disagree with. It might not be how I run my portfolio, but you know, I get it. They might be too big. I mean, that's a legit uh, criticism. Not too big to buy back though. I think what uh, the the thing that he said when he was talking about the buybacks was that it was a little bit confusing to me, the exact phrasing of it, but he said down 30% and then he kind of went on to another thought. And I just wasn't sure if the two were connected together, but he said, I don't see it's any better value now than it was, you know, before all of this went, went on in kind of late December last year. Oh yeah, I think it's connected. But was yeah, he, was he saying, saying down 30% it wasn't any better value? Yeah, because I I think what his argument would be is that the the downside distribution of the probability tree, the has you have increased your probabilities of the downside occurring, and the downside has gotten wider. So that lowers your intrinsic value estimation. That's right. Because the yeah, downside pulls not do, down your midpoint. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it might not do shit to like some point estimate that somebody DCFs, but like if you really think through what are all the probabilities out here. He's saying like the distribution of outcomes is pretty freaking wide and and the losses could be pretty big. I think that's new information for him. I thought the whole thing was he was quite subdued. It's hard to tell, right? Because there's no crowd there. There's no laugh track, right, to the to what he's saying. But I thought he was very subdued. And as, as it kind of went on, I was trying to work out why he was so subdued. And then I thought, well, it's probably appropriate. We are right in the middle of the coronavirus is still around. Uh, lots of people don't have jobs. You don't want to come out and be too kind of uh, too, too quippy. And um, but you, you contrast that with uh, 2008 by American. I am versus this time around. He was sort of like the by American. I am was was a little bit kind of aspirational, inspirational. You know, everybody we're, we're actually doing it here. This time around, it was it sounded like be careful. I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, what I think is kind of interesting, too, is uh, I think that his actions with his money are some insight into his private conversations with Bill Gates. And one thing that I have wondered about Bill Gates and the virus is his incentive structure is such that he doesn't really benefit that much from saying, hey, guys, this isn't as big of a deal as we once thought. Right. And I mean, he's not immune to incentives. Uh, Bill Gates is working on his legacy for eternity. So I think he has an incentive structure set up where erring on the side of caution about advising as far uh, about what the virus could be. That's like where Bill's incentives sort of if I were to analyze it, that's where I think he would be leaning towards the side of caution. It sounds like he's telling Buffett in private, like, no, man, this thing could be a really big deal. Um, you know, now is that because Gates is more focused on emerging markets generally and could it be a bigger issue down there? I don't know, but I, I mean, Buffett's got a hell of a network and his network's telling him, be careful. He also has I a great overview of the economy from all of the, you know, from the railroads to just, he's got a mini S and P 500 that reports to him internally that tells him what's happening. So he knows where the pain points are. So that's enough. Was that? You don't need a minute a by minute opinion on your ownership. <laughs> I really like, I thought that was smart. I mean, he said it in different ways before, but I don't think he's used minute by minute before. And I was like, oh, I like that one. <laughs> tick by tick. We're all living minute by minute right now in the market and scratching our heads, right? So maybe that's 
tells you a little bit of get back into some fundamentals instead of tracking like why the hell this doesn't make sense right now. I, I got to say, it doesn't make sense the way February didn't make sense. Like we knew that there was all of this bad stuff going on and it just hadn't been reflected in the market yet. And I kind of feel the same way now. We know all this bad stuff is going on. It's just not reflected in the market. I'm a, my bias is that I'm, I'm probably a little bit more bearish to realistic. Uh, so take that for what it's worth. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, the thing that's tough is I, I don't know how to handicap what all the fiscal stimulus and what the Fed intervention does long term. I do think that the the idea that fiscal stimulus is just on the come until we get out of this thing, uh, I think that that is pretty improbable. And there's already signaling that the austerity hawks are about to come out. And that could complicate matters quite a bit. Not yet. It's hard to I say. I think it we're with getting the, close. Really? Yeah, I think we're getting close. Let me ask you this, guys. What? Uh, why did he bring up that in 1929, the market had a had a 20 percent rebound, but you know took 20 years to get back to flat. And, and it, it also, bottomed in 30 or 32 or whenever it was. It didn't bottom in 29. Yeah, and he uh, like he is giving us this long sweep of history, which. I completely agree with, by the way. Like, I think it's it's really smart to provide that kind of long-term perspective and context and and the belief that things will get better. But then to add that in as a pretty major caveat um, and that, like, entire generation of people shied away from equities because of this, uh, even his when he talked about buying and holding something like the S&P 500, he was using 20 to 30 years as the sort of, like, safe holding period when before i think that that might have been a smaller number when he's referenced it before like he kind of pushed back a little bit like this it, it, it's safe to hold it but it, it might take longer than i've said before uh i don't know what you guys think about that yeah that was the other thing that gave me the fear uh that was uh that was nerve. That was nerve-wracking to see. And he ref, he referenced the, uh, the. I think he's talked about the Spanish flu as well. Am I imagining that? Did he say no? 19? He did. Like if you look at what happened to the Spanish flu, the market did crash in 1918, but it crashed a lot. Hot, like the bottom was like 1921. The bottom was three years later. The Forgotten Depression. Yeah. Good book by Jim Grant. I think uh, as far as like why he did that. I do think that when he talks these like now, he knows that a lot of people are tuning in and it's he knows that a lot of them are unsophisticated. So I, I do think look that like there's a chance out there that shit gets really bad. Like and and if people don't think that, then they're blind. Now, there is also a reasonable chance that the market's totally right and things go up and then we'll all be grateful because life isn't going to suck. But if you're buying equities today and you're not prepared to hold through the consequences and the knock-on effects of 16% unemployment, which could take five to 10 years to work off and equities through a five to 10 year period to work off, uh, you know, not working and the second order effects of debt defaults and all the shit that can happen and psychologically the washout that can happen like then you probably shouldn't buy equities right now my mom is older and doesn't have that much um you know saved up and i told her i was like mom i don't think that you should really hold much equity right now like you may need this money you may not but if you don't like she sells real estate i said if you don't like scottsdale real estate should be booming you're probably going to be okay anyway your upside downside skew doesn't make sense given where your life's at i don't think that's bad advice right now given where the markets are um, how how are all these uh how is every baby boomer and pension fund and everyone else state that needs eight percent returns to match all their cash flows <laughs> gonna how's that fit into your hypothesis yeah i mean we'll see look it we could go a lot higher like that is that's in the probabilities but the big downside is there too and i don't i think it's underappreciated by some let me just do a quick a few quick housekeeping matters. Love seeing where everybody's from, so stick that in the uh, in the comments. JT is up against the green screen. You can't see because of the way it's cropped, but he's actually sitting 
between uh, Buffett and was it Abel or is it Munger? Is it an yeah, older it's one? Yeah, Abel on that. Buffett it's and Abel. This year, yeah. uh, Elliot Chenoweth sent us a super chat. He says, "What's my favorite item at Dairy Queen? I've never Temple of Temple of Doom." <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, you need the you need a chocolate based blizzard. My my yeah, thanks. I'll just it, everybody tell me what kind of blizzard I should have, and I'll get, I'll get my it mind next time. So much now, I don't even know where we were. Next time we're in Omaha, we'll do it in Omaha. Uh, my, the segue from JT background. Uh, here's the let's just lighten it up a little bit because it's going to get we're going to have to go and shoot ourselves after this. Uh, <laughs> just pace. What did you think about? Two guys in a gigantic auditorium all by themselves. What was that about? Strong power move. <laughs> the uh, man doesn't want to waste money. He's already cost. paid the rent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's not going to pay the rent and not use it. How do you know he paid the rent? You got to pay. You, you got to pay a year in advance. Oh, I'm sure he paid. Probably. I don't know. I, I mean, I I was brutally disappointed that they couldn't at least pipe in Munger on a Zoom call for 10 minutes, 15 I mean, come minutes. On. Get him come to cameo on. in. Just a cameo. I didn't mind it. Go to Daily Journal if you want Munger. I do. I'll be there. But I also want to hear blowing up my him spot. right now. This is like the exact time when you need that sort of sage wisdom. He did the Wall Street Journal article. Yeah, but that's like kind of filtered. This is this would be straight to the vein. Fifteen. Oh, this he doesn't ever go like hardcore monger at at Berkshire. There's too many people watching. I'd love to have Daily Journal all over again right now. Yeah, Daily Journal was like two months too early, huh? Yeah, because he goes he goes hardcore there. They got to set him up on a Zoom. I don't want him in a room full of a few hundred sweaty people who've all come off a plane. They need a they need to quarantine him. You can just do it over Zoom. Do it from a. Do it from his house. So let's uh, jump to the the elephant in Bill's room of the PowerPoint. Fr- no, no. Where do we get the PowerPoint running. template? <laughs> oh, dude, that was so classic, Buffett, with the just like the high school PowerPoint, just saying like flip the slide, next shitty slide after the next. <laughs> just fantastic. Oh, I wish there'd been a few wipes and fades in there. Though. Yeah, dissolve. A few dissolves. That would have been dope if it like spiraled at you, and then just that terrible formatting came up. The bounce. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, you know that how to do this. Somebody in the firm was just somebody at head office must have been like, "I can make that look a little bit better for you," and he was like, "Sure, go ahead." And so that's that's the that's the improved version. That's right. Yeah. We need more corporate overhead here. Obviously. Take one. He had a lot more words on that. It was just like paragraph after paragraph. Unlikely. So, Bill, uh, how'd you feel him after he exited the airlines completely? The whole thing felt fucking good, man. <laughs> I am finally able to say that I have learned enough from the master that I think in the same general ballpark that he does, I would give anything to be able to listen to him think through the probabilities because I, I don't think that you can accuse somebody of being right or wrong until you hear how they assign the probabilities and why. Um, but yeah, man, I, I mean, I like that I am fearful of some of the distribution of outcomes. I like that he is. I like that I saw something similar in the airlines and so did he. Uh, it makes me feel like I'm improving. So I don't really want to make my career on the notion that like I lost a bunch of money in the airlines quicker than Buffett. Just did. like Buffett. <laughs> yeah, that's not exactly like the thing I'm trying to hold my hat on. Um, but, you know, I think as far as the process goes, um, he and I saw similar stuff and that feels good. Yeah, really good at capturing Buffett downside. Yeah, strong. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, I hope I can get some of the upside. But I did find it interesting that he was almost to the point of laughing about how much volume he saw to be able to sell into. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, like, was wild. Like almost <laughs> I don't took, why don't want to think us months to build the position and I I got out in a couple days. How about that? <laughs> Pretty easy. I wonder how that happened. <laughs> Imagine at the worst possible time all you guys were buying. <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, wasn't that kind of what was in between the lines there? 
Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, that was explicit. I don't even know if it was between the lines. I I also think, you know, he's talking about um, how many companies issued um, debt and whatnot. And I mean, you could see it if you were paying attention too. But I just flashed back to when when we were talking earlier. I hope it was during a, a recorded podcast. It might have been after one. But when I said that, like my guilty pleasure, Jim Cramer that I wasn't worried about what the Fed was doing until I started to hear him like shooting the machine gun and saying like carnival issue debt, Royal Caribbean issue debt, like everybody gets debt. And then Buffett was just like, it was pretty amazing how much debt was issued in those two months. I could yeah. just hear Kramer. <laughs> Guys, it's a maniac. How about his stamina? Just, just sitting up there for four and a half hours, uh, delivered the one and a half hour monologue from memory had a few slides up there had, Solid. had his Impressive. like had his uh glass of coke that must have been refreshed a few times but that got to pay the that best eating i've ever seen i mean i really i really think that like even the 08 and 09 meetings i i've listened to him a couple times they're not that great cuz i i don't know if the timing like you just didn't catch him in the real middle of the panic um I just thought that the way that I, I Becky quick, one of the 10, thanks for listening. You did a great job. Um, but like, uh, she did fantastic and, and I'm glad that she didn't like, I don't want to fucking hear what he thinks of Wells Fargo anymore. Like, I don't care that thing's a shit show. Everybody knows it. Get on to like new things. Um, and I, I really felt like she did a good job not getting bogged down and sort of the stuff that you know, the the general public can get distracted on. I've got a good comment on the screen here. Uh, is it funny that Ted and Todd couldn't find anything to buy in March and April? It's odd. I wondered the same thing. Is it? It's only Todd and it's not Ted and Todd because Ted's running Geico. Yeah, he still has true. a portfolio though, I think. I think he's still PM as well. My understanding. I, I found that interesting. You would have thought, given like the fact that they nibbled on Amazon earlier, that maybe they would nibble a little bit more. Or, like, I mean, Google got pretty cheap by most people's eyes. It's interesting that they didn't see it that way. Um, there's, I, need, yeah. I need glasses. There must have been word from on high that they can serve cash. We're not. We're not. We're not doing it this time around. Oh, I don't think he would ever tell them that. It's just a coincidence that they couldn't find anything to buy. I mean, if you're if they're talking together, maybe. And yeah, Buffett he's says, not like, telling them. He's just saying, "This is what I'm doing." Yeah, you do you do you, but I'm this you is do what I'm you, doing. But by the way, uh, <laughs> goat, of, you know, is saying I can't find anything. Nothing's coming in the door that seems attractive. Uh, we're getting crowded out right now. So let's talk about that a little bit. Was that, was it? So I see this stuff like all the time. It was too fast. I got to tell you, in the in the moment, it didn't feel too fast to me. It felt like a really, really long march. Yeah. I, 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 I tweeted out the other day. I said, well, last night, I said the asset allocation is going to protect you going forward a lot more than stock picking. And what I meant is like the the range of outcomes I think is still very wide. Um, you know, like Buffett said, I mean, like the, the total crash has been taken off the, the total short term implosion of the financial system was taken off the table. Gunlock, uh, in his CNBC interview, you're putting said zero that the, on that now. I'm saying it's, yeah, I think it's pretty off the table for now. I mean, it's, it may still, nothing is zero. I don't think it's certainly not five. So it's pretty low. Right. Um, Gunlock said that the bond market was more locked up in March than it was in 09. I, I mean, I was looking at it. Transdime was trading at north of 11% yield to maturity. Teva blew out from 6 to 10.5 in like two weeks. I mean, there were crazy moves in the bond market. So, like, you know, that got stabilized. But my, my point in what I said yesterday is, like, I, I, it wasn't a stock picker hedge fund comment. It was to, like... Anyone that is in like my position, I think people really got to think about how much risk they want to hold right now. 
And then within equities, you can sort of debate which equities you want to hold. But I, I mean, I don't know if you want to be all balls out into equities right now. If you're not and the market shoots up, okay, great. You're still going to be fine. Um, so I don't, I just don't think, I don't buy that it was too quick. I do buy that the Fed precluded them from getting the dip financing type packages that they maybe would have gotten in the past. But I do not think the deals are off the table. I just don't think the pain started yet. Yeah. I tend to agree. <clears throat> we'll see after everyone gets their, their stimmy and then they, and then things start are still rough. I, I would be especially concerned right now if we start easing the the restrictions on shelter in place and we just see a bunch of flare ups again. Like that's gonna be really I think uh demoralizing for us. That we're it in also, this for a we're in this for a while here and we gotta hunk you know, like this isn't just gonna like go away all of a sudden. If that ends up being the case, when that realization happens, I would say that's when it's we start to get a real grip of like, all right, this is going to suck for quite a while. Yeah, uh, just this is slightly off topic, but just on the market. Uh, when I was, uh, I had this risk arb position in Humana with Aetna in the Aetna takeover, uh, and they're all there were four insurers that were involved in a merger that, out of the top five, but the largest United was not United, and all of those mergers took a really long time to play out because there were various issues. You remember first it was the inversion for tax purposes that was blocked. And then the DOJ came in after that was taken off and said that they're going to open an investigation, may block the the merger. During all of that period, United just kept on going up. So the the range of outcomes at one point for Humana was the deal doesn't go through or it gets blocked by the DOJ which is the worst possible outcome in this scenario. Best possible outcome is it gets approved and it goes through, right? So you're trying to you're trying to handicap those two outcomes. On the day that the DOJ formally blocked and uh, the worst possible scenario manifests itself, the stock was up like 20%. So that's one of those things. Uncertainty. The uncertainty was worse the possibility of the worst possible outcome was worse than the actual worst possible outcome. So sometimes I think about that a lot. Well, I think about that a lot, and I've said this to you guys before, but I think this market is a little bit like that where at the moment we've kind of priced in, except it's the reverse, unfortunately. We've priced in like (laughs) the best possible scenario. And so the moment that we get the economies opening up again, everybody back to work, that's when I think everybody's like, oh, hang on, this isn't that great, and we go the other direction for my two cents so there's only in your mind there's two outcomes of this which is one is that it it ends up being the best case and then it goes down because it's sort of like oh all right or it's like worse than everyone thought and then it probably goes down why don't i think that the market it's it's not even it's not even a question about what actually happens underneath it's a question about the market's reaction to it because i think we all know that it's pretty bad even if it turns out we open up, like I just think that it's one of those sell the fact kind of things. Like I think that the, when the announcement gets made, everything's back on, then everybody's going to be reminded of, oh, you, the, the market was pretty, you know, I, I think I'm one of the few people who think this, but the real curve inversion's pretty good. Like it did go through, and the, the market fell over, it's just convenient that you get to block. Like what's Tesla going to do? So Tesla's had a blockbuster Q1. They're going to have a disastrous Q2. They're going to blame it on, the virus and it's not going to be their fault and so that you know that, that stock's going to be beaten up a little bit too i think i have a bias there obviously but that's i just don't see how they skate through Maybe, this i don't know i don't know that that stock trades on quarterly numbers but it I, doesn't trade I, on uh, anything hopium oh. it, it hey, trades listen, on he just had on another a rosy kid. optimistic look at the uh, future he had a kid he's going to get a what seven hundred fifty million dollar or something option payday? Like everything is coming up. Millhouse Selling right all now for... physical assets. Yeah. What does that tell you? That's a. In this market, you put your forty million dollar house. He's got two, multi multi, ten million dollar houses that he's stuck on the market. Like, now's not the time. To, I mean, if you if I guess he, maybe you don't care about ten million here. Maybe 10 now million is there. the time. Why is now not the time? There's no guarantee that two years from now it's going to be easier to sell something like that. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's getting harder. 
I mean, look, I think that I could see the market going up a lot if you you just have to believe that rates are going to be low for a long time. The stimmy works. People come out of this, and you know, in eighteen months, there's a cure, and we get back to the races. Uh, I mean, but go, that, like, what kind of multiple would you expect then from dude? I've where said we for are a long now. Time, I think that you could double. You're t- you're talking about zero rates. Like, people have nowhere else to go. Where else are you going to go? You want to hide in cash while the government prints money and incinerates your cash? You want to go to corporate bonds where you know that the Fed is manipulating all the yields? They, they, I mean, it's happening. So you're going to underprice the risk. Or do you want to go to equities where you could actually get some growth? And by the way, in those growth names, these states that are getting the shit kicked out of them financially and are going to tax the crap out of you, at least you don't have to pay on some sort of distribution coming on the near term, like I could argue for growth. I just think that there's a lot of ways down to. There's also 20%. Like this is the best The best <laughs> argument I've heard is that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, but that's, yeah, it's... you got to think in probabilities. And that's what I think was so great about the meeting is that you're watching the, the guy whose whole fucking life has revolved around probabilities analyze this crisis through a probabilistic lens. I I mean, if you can get over whatever fanboy you have, if you're me or whatever hatred you have, if you're like some other people and you just watch the mind work, it was a really beautiful display of like how a genius thinks through a problem. How do they underwrite? Yeah. And I mean, like he's also worried what happens if, if a cat five hurricane hits New York this year, right? That's been one of the insurance outcomes that he's always talking about being like just terrible. So he's, yeah, he's not just thinking about like, this is the worst case and therefore this. He's thinking like, well, God, we're going into hurricane season and what happens if this happens? And, you know, so it's just, it's interesting to be able to see a mind like that and then read the 10Q and think through like, okay, what are the businesses that he's worried about? I just, I think it was, it was the best birthday present I could have gotten. <laughs> I think uh, there's a good comment on the screen, which is the point that I was going to make too. I think the best argument for the strength in the S&P 500 after this is just the fact that 20% of the index is growing at 20% a year. And it's possible yeah. that tech just becomes, just takes over. And tech is basically anti-fragile to this particular type of crisis. If we get an EMP or something like that, it goes in a different direction. But right now, it it's just getting stronger through this. Like, there's no question to, in my mind that more people come out of this and say work from home is totally like work from home. Don't commute. Don't get changed. Uh, and we don't have to go and rent expensive office space. You're going to be more productive. And you just zoom in every now and again. So a lot of things that feed on that are going to do better. So tech keeps on growing at 20% a year. The rest of the market becomes increasingly irrelevant. It's very possible. I would wonder how easy it is to continue to swim. I mean, in a real downside scenario. Like, I don't know. How quickly can you swim upstream? There's going to be a lot of dollars taken out of the world in like a bad case scenario. You're talking about debt defaults, you're talking about real estate restructuring. I mean, there's pain. So, you know, I don't know, in a a world where people haven't, I mean, we're talking about 16% unemployment, but I think a lot of the white collar jobs right now are pretty okay. Do they stay okay? I mean, do businesses stay staffed like this in nine, 12 months? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I think anyone that thinks that they know is out of their mind. I think you have to embrace the uncertainty right now. You also got to look at the what, what's priced in, right? So I, I think that you, if you're looking at the, uh, without knowing which direction the market's going to go, I think Jake, Bill just, I, I, Bill's gone into the Jake tricks somehow, but you got you to price in, you got to look <laughs> at what the odds offered are. And I think that the downside is not priced at the moment. Like the downside is almost free and the upside is kind of expensive. Yeah. <clears throat> what do you think about uh, no STEMI at all for any Berkshire companies? I mean, I, I kind of admire it. Did, was like he a, saying that he wouldn't take it or is he saying that they didn't take it? I don't remember him saying they wouldn't, but he definitely said they didn't. Do you think that's being sensitive to the criticism everyone. of the last 2008, 2009 that the banks were kind of bailed out and they were beneficiaries of that? Maybe I think I I mean the charitable explanation I think the one that maybe to me makes the most sense is that they've long tried to run their business 
in a way that uh, they would never depend on the kindness of strangers, right? Yeah, like he says a that line. a lot. And so this is a way of you telling all everyone inside of the company, like, don't take that money. Like that's this is a principled thing. Like this is how we operate. And for you to take that now undermines our culture of not wanting to depend on others. Yeah, I, I think we've lost uh, we've lost Bill very quickly there. So we're just gonna have to. Bill got killed. <laughs> I tried to add, add him back in, but at the moment it's just you and I, JT. Yeah. Sorry. Show goes on. I, you know, I there's a lot of criticism on Twitter because that's the place that I'm spending most of my time looking of all of the bailouts looking that they took. For criticism. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All of the, ba- I just, I just, I follow a lot of guys who are Austrianish, uh, critical of um, the bailouts and that kind of thing, but critical of the the, the two thousand seven, sorry, two thousand eight, two thousand nine bailouts, and Buffett comes up, comes in for, you know, deservedly some criticism for taking bailouts for a lot of those organisations. Well, I don't know if it's deserved. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. I, he comes in for a lot of criticism for the things that he held taking those bailouts. I think right. probably he feels similarly to this time around, maybe, maybe, that the Fed did front-run him a little bit in some of those things because they clearly had enough money to give very, very substantial bailouts to you know, Goldman Sachs and get the gigantic preference, get the, get the convert, get all of that sort of stuff. So I don't know, but I clearly he's, some of that has got through it right. So they're very clear that they didn't take any of the stimmy. Yeah, and it makes it easier to to give money to Goldman Sachs when you if you know that their counterparty AIG is getting money shoveled into them, which then goes to Goldman Sachs, right? Like all that counterparty risk that you should have been bearing got shored up by government intervention. Like that is a backdoor bailout of companies that he was invested in yeah i guess he's he's well connected and smart enough to to sort of uh have known that that was going to happen i guess that's the criticism right yeah i know that's fair i mean but i guess that's sort of like the game you're playing too like that's one of the variables in when you're playing this game (laughs) Do, do you have any airlines you hold any do I yeah personally own any uh yeah a little bit uh what do you hold a little southwest just because i i bought it at the well i'm a little bit under it now but not much um but when did you buy I it mean, roughly uh like late march uh, just a, just the the most recent yeah yeah, yeah so i've held, I, I own it as well i've held it I forget exactly, but I think probably six months or something like that. Maybe a little bit more than six months. I I, I, I didn't buy it because I thought Buffett was in it. I'm not going to sell it because Buffett's out of it either. Yeah. I'm going to sell it. You know, at some rebalance state, I'll look at how it looks. If it still meets the criteria, it's gonna, I'm going to hold it for five years if it keeps on meeting the criteria. But um, it's going to be it's going to be a little bit difficult through this period because it is going to get beaten up. It's going to look. When those fundamentals come through, they are ugly. It's lost yeah. nine hundred million dollars for the quarter. I mean, that's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, to me, it's like one of the the most well-run companies probably in the U.S. It's a difficult business, and certainly this is a really tough period for them. And you may not survive as in equity necessarily like dilution is very much in the cards yeah and you don't know how hard you're going to get diluted and it it makes it really tough to handicap like what your ownership is going to look like in the future but boy like they're it's a good well-run company they weren't levered up they were pretty reasonable and it it got down to a price where I i think when i was buying it was around eight times call it you know, some kind of earnings or cash flow number. That's pretty cheap for a sort of best in class business that has a great culture. Um, in my mind, checks a lot of boxes. It's just a very unfortunate situation for them that they may not survive as the current equity holder. Like you won't may not survive, but I think the business survives. Um, 
and maybe even comes out stronger on the other end because other ones will not pass through the keyhole, but we'll see. I don't know. The question is, is if I'm, if it's down another 50% from here, am I doubling up? And that's something I'm still been kind of working through. Yeah. I think the challenge that I have with airlines is that, you know, pre Buffett's not intervention. Not investment advice, by the way. Yeah, not investment advice. The, the problem has always been that when one of them goes bankrupt, then they come back in as the low cost operator with a much better balance sheet than everybody else. And then they yeah. compete really aggressively. And so then the, the one who is has the ugliest balance sheet and the highest cost structure is put under the most pressure. And eventually that one goes under. And then they come back out with a brand new cost structure and yeah. uh, lower Meanwhile, costs. equity is just getting boned on every yeah, round. every single time. So the, the airlines don't go away, but the equity holders kind of make a big donation in each one every now and again that and that happened for decades in that industry and so the risk is now i guess that all of the dirtier shirts are going to go through that process and that's going to make it more difficult for southwest and delta which have been well managed and have had the best balance sheets going to make it tough for them to compete possibly that's what their thought process is you just don't want to be in this industry at all it's time to time to look somewhere else yeah. When I, when I think about my designing my portfolio as sort of like owning an empire of businesses that I'm constructing, there's a little place in there for something like Southwest. Yeah, I think so too. I could be completely wrong, but it's a very, very small position. It was a toehold sort of starter, and then it, it hasn't really done anything enough. It hasn't moved down enough to make me want to add more yet, um, but... Ah, there's another there's a price somewhere where I'm getting compensated enough to to put more in. I don't know. We'll see. What uh what other takeaways do you have from the from the meeting? Um here's one that I had. I my yeah. you know, I cuz I'm deep value. I'm a more of a Graham guy probably than a Buffett guy, but I'm still there's a lot of I'm like 85% Graham, 15% Buffett, but as Fisher. I was watching No, well, I'm saying I'm 85% Graham, 15% Buffett. So that water's down 85, 15 inside of Buffett. So. <laughs> yeah, you got me. 95%. That's uh, what I was saying. <laughs> but I think, but I think uh, Buffett is still 85% Graham too. Like that was my, t- I was kind of watching it. I was like, he's a lot more, probably a lot more careful than I've seen him in the past. Yeah. Does, uh, do you want to try to invite Bill back in? I don't know if that's a thing. I've been trying to call him, but he's uh, okay. He's not he picking him. up. Oh, he can do it now. I'll see if he's there. So we had. Um, this is live one. television. Yeah, this is great. This should show that like technical difficulty screen where it's like some guy boozing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one that I had was uh, that I thought Buffett was talking about how he's been wrong on inflation, but he said that you know if the like the ability to just borrow money and print ad infinitum was like so great then here we go you think yeah you would think that we would have discovered it thousands of years ago yeah that <laughs> was a great that line was a really great line <laughs> like if mmt was so great we would have already discovered it a thousand years ago and been doing it so sorry folks technical difficulties i think that he kind of we've kind of halfway got him back in but uh just the tip. <laughs> Somehow you're on both sides of the screen, and uh, I've got no. I've got no. Even better. There he goes back, out of the bill matrix. Hello. Jeez. So what happened, mate? Where were you? You I, went into man, a wormhole. No, now I come back. My my background's blurred. Power <laughs> went out. I mean, just a brutal series of events. For uh, really felt like we had it rolling, and I just ruined everyone with my work from home nonsense. I thought like zombies had come in and kicked the door down, and ah, uh, I you know I tell you this work from home stuff is nonsense. <sighs> I'm blurring my background. Ugh. I was. I really thought we had it going, and then it's like the power cuts out, and I was just like, "You lost Mothers. power." Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. 
Yeah, I apologize. It's the EMP. Yeah, I know. I I don't know. I mean, it like super matrixed me. Whatever whatever they try to do to you, they took me right out. So let's uh, let's do some questions because we've got ten minutes left. Throw them in there, guys. We'll uh, we'll we'll I'll throw them up to the boys. Uh, I did have one another one. Oh yeah, sorry. Go. Talking about buybacks, which I thought was great. Like, finally, hopefully that that zombie dies because it just won't go away. But he said that just because there's someone does them stupidly doesn't make them immoral. And I thought that was a pretty good line. Just because buff- buybacks are done stupidly doesn't make them immoral. Yeah. Uh, how great was it that uh, we had a Bill Murray question make it in? Bill Murray asked a question? Yeah, at the end. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, I wasn't fully paying attention by that stage either. What, what, was, what damn, did he say? Guys, come on. What the... <laughs> he asked uh, like, what we could do to honor all the like frontline people, basically, who are you know working in the trenches. And was, I, I mean, it was, I thought it was pretty cool. And what was the answer? Uh... By Tesla. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sell everything. No, I don't know. It wasn't, uh, I didn't find there to be like a very definitive answer. There was more like kind of platitudes, but. So I got a, I got a good question here. Uh, will Buffett, would Buffett rather pay a premium valuation once the left tail is chopped off versus running into the fire with a lot of uncertainty? Yeah, what for his stock or like to? I mean, he's got to return capital to shareholders eventually. He doesn't is getting insane. Um, <laughs> but you know, I I understand not wanting to sacrifice. Uh, you know what what you uh, have you, a need for what you think. Do you, you really think it's that bad? I mean, on a let's say, yeah, two, dude, it's two hundred. Well, let's say let's run the numbers. Two hundred billion ish in let's say private equity inside the company basically another 130 or whatever for cash and then another one whatever it is 150 ish or something and that's well, probably lower now but um call it like well maybe it's like 180 ish of of equities portfolio that puts you at a roughly 25 percent cash balance inside the entire thing like that's not to be like conservatively run, you have insurance operations that could pop up with big asks. Twenty five percent cash is not like it's not that material as much as people are acting like it is. Like he needs to send you a check now because he's got twenty five percent cash. Really, Bill? It was seventeen percent of my portfolio. Now it's seven. On March nineteenth, I sent a a friend a picture of my portfolio. I said, "Buy anything on this list except for Berkshire." So yes, I think he needs to do something with his cash. I was He's literally buying it the next day. He well, <laughs> from, but from you. No, is it, he's too big. He's structurally precluded from taking advantage of some things because of his size. And if he's not going to return capital to shareholders, I mean, at some point, you just like the elephant, your cash pile is too large for the elephant. There aren't that many targets out there if you're waiting with all that cash. And he's got one right in front of him that appears to be reasonably priced. What's that, Berkshire? Yeah. Tell that to conrad hilton in the great depression buying hotels for way I, under replacement value jt just I mean, hit look, you with some knowledge i'm not <laughs> saying that it's not going to work out i'm just saying uh eventually he's going to have to return money to shareholders if we're three years down the road and the world's okay and he still hasn't returned any money to shareholders i mean chris bloomstram <laughs> that guy is really oh he's back into the bill tricks oh, we've killed bill bitch really sp- I'm gonna to have to cut him off. I got a good question here from Corey Hofstein. Might COVID lead to creative destruction in the economy, increasing technological adoption and efficiency? I think so. I think we're kind of seeing it. Yeah, I think that's a, a interesting way to look at it, um, and that those might be more profitable because of a lower cost. However, I would say that historically, most of that sort of pie goes to the consumer. Um, and so they're, the profitability that you would imagine ends up becoming consumer surplus instead. 
and that's prices a good point. come down and it's not like all these guys just make all the money it's more like we all win as a society yeah we've been doing a lot of that i think it's also been working in the stock market too so who knows so this is another good question i don't actually know the answer to this but uh i saw a report from aig today so it's possible that uh this is the answer but buffett called out another insurer for underwriting business interruption insurance do you know who that is I don't uh, like within a few. Uh, well, as soon as we started to think that things were getting real on this, I started digging in to see if I could find who had like business interruption insurance, business yeah. continuity insurance uh, exposure. And so far, what I've found is that most of them have it's pretty tightly worded so that it's more like uh if there was something wrong with the structure of where people were showing up to work and it's not so much that if there's like pandemics uh i think there are a couple i found that had some problems that might have been exposed but probably could have gotten out legally but we'll see like that's going to be lawyers deciding a lot of that stuff and bill's back do you know who do you know who the insurer was who was uh who, who buffett sort of called out for underwriting business interruption insurance Oh, he's just here. There's just a photo of him. I don't. You can't hear me. Yeah, this is there you garbage. Go. No, you're good. You're good. You're on. You're on. Time out. Yeah. I don't know who it is. Guy, it looks like Fairfax based on the stock price. Oh, um, really? <laughs> well, it's, I mean, you're down like below half price to book right now for Fairfax, which is pretty cheap, if assuming the book value is good. Oh man, sorry. I'm scrolling. I'm, this uh, this computer's just not up to it. But let me see if I can find. Yeah, some you're questions. you're clearly the technical problem with this podcast today. <laughs> hey, I'm in a remote location. It's got its benefits. You're in a bunker. You box. saw you I saw am. the Berkshire meeting and immediately <laughs> went to your bunker. Went That's underground true. right away. Yes. Yes. But uh, this bunker has bad power and bad internet. That's the, the, all that the bunker needs is power and internet, and maybe yeah, running water. Third, it's pretty much the worst bunker you could ever imagine. <laughs> so, the, Fairfax is kind of interesting. What what has happened to Fairfax? Are you guys following that closely? No, I don't follow them that closely. I do. Um, so, my take is that it's. The insurance operations have been pretty good lately, last, call it five years. The portfolio has not been doing much. Yeah, and they're it's a like little they bit can, deep value, I think, aren't they? Yeah, a little too much. And they can never get both things firing at the same time. Like, when their portfolio was doing well, the, under, the insurance was sucking wind. And now the insurance has been doing much better, but the portfolio has been lagging. So you can never quite get on like both feet running under you um however like i do think it's interesting they have a they have a these deflationary hedges uh that they purchased at, at pretty reasonable prices i thought when they did it because no, uh no one was really talking about it at that point um those there is some like scenario where things get really bad and and those things pay off in a big way kind of like the cds's that they had yeah. during oh eight i don't think it's quite the same probability that they had of winning in oh eight but that could be kind of resulting by monday morning quarterbacking looking backwards but uh there is some universe where you win pretty big there maybe uh in the meantime you have a decent insurance operation that's globally focused not so much us and theoretically some kind of mean reversion in a portfolio that's kind of sucked ass for the last call it 10 years so it's not the worst bet in the world I've ever seen, uh, but I, it may take a while. It would be a funny world where the hedges he put on for macro reasons, he then didn't well didn't want them because he started to believe in the macro stuff that was going on. But it would be funny if it actually paid off while he believed in the macro stuff that was going. It would just be a very funny series of events if he got paid now. <laughs> Yeah, because right, the last AGM, he was basic. Or, well, or the one that we went to together, he was like, "I'm not making macro bets anymore." By the way, here's all the macro stuff I like going on. 
Uh, it would be funny if he got paid now. That would be like the some sweet justice that the world would be sending somehow. A beautiful irony. So I got a question here. This this might be more of a bill question, but any thoughts on travel and leisure? Uh, perhaps go with the online booking providers instead of those with hard assets. Any I've thoughts? always liked the leisure market. I think people want to get back to leisure. <laughs> I take I, pleasure in other the, people's uh, leisure. That's right. That's I mean, that's the one thing that I that's the one comment that Buffett made that I sort of would like really like to debate him on is I don't know that I actually believe that this permanently changes people's desire to travel and, you know, move around. And I think 9-11 was more frightening than this was right for. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, so I don't know. I don't know why he's so freaked out as it pertains to airlines. I get it because your balance sheets are impaired and you might have too much capacity for a while. And that is a terrible, terrible combo. But as far as like actual changing and of human behavior, I don't fully understand why he seemed very concerned about that. I'll, I'll take the other side of that and say that the, a lot of the leisure and travel industry has a lot of operational leverage built into it. You have a lot of assets to build a hotel. It takes a lot of money. And that that marginal customer, when they fall off, if you're at 20% off of capacity, it, the economics completely change. If you add that 20% capacity back, like you start printing money, right? Like So it's... I think Buffett's worried about that marginal. It's the customer. marginal twenty percent. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That and makes sense. And now all of a sudden, like all these things are structurally unprofitable on for a long period of time. And if they're levered up at all, which they kind of tend to be with heavy asset heavy like that, and what seem like relatively dependable cash flow streams, your goose is kind of cooked. So, I, I don't know. I'm I'm not as uh, sanguine that things come back to. Maybe eight out of ten of us do, but. Those other two were the ones that were all the profit for the for yeah, all these. That's fair. Well, yeah, and I think I mean I've gone back and forth on Vail Resorts since this whole thing started, and I mean that's a good example. A lot of their money comes from people that are flying and spending money at the ski school and spending money on fancy wine at dinner and stuff like that. I mean they do have local traffic, but like you know that's like they my probably buddy break that, even on those season passes, right? It's all the the tourists whom the real money is. Yeah, I think that's where your real that's where the the money really flows from. This might be the last uh question that we have, but uh kind of the other side of that question, uh e-gaming via online work companies, any thoughts? I don't know. None I worth mean, sharing. I I've got other, everyone else doesn't already know. I've recorded an interview with Will Hershey. He runs uh the NERD nerd uh, ETF, which is esports and digital entertainment, kind of interesting. Uh, that mm. one comes out on Monday. Um, it, I think that 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 world is so big and so like just not nearly as well understood as it is big. It's so much bigger than film. Uh, so much bigger, like just the the the, the esports and entertainment part of it. So much bigger than like the amount of money that just gets tipped into. It's kind of staggering compared to the mind share that it has. It's one of those things that there must be like right on the tipping point of just becoming completely mainstream. That you go and watch, um, you go and watch other people compete in various of those games versus watching. You know, I wouldn't want to be the marginal. Uh, professional sporting franchise in the states. So he said, "The XFL of esports." I mean, not even the XFL. I hesitate to say this, but he said the average age of someone who watches baseball is sixty years old. Yeah, believe that. What? Uh, speaking of regular sports, though, how great is the Last Dance? Have you guys been enjoying? Oh, that it's one? fantastic! So good. I'm, Dude, Jordan's a monster. Jordan I, I'm is... like amazing I, I i always loved him and had respect for him but like his drive is just it boggles the mind yeah my dad was never big into sports so i like i only watch the nfl and watching that i'm I'm like so disappointed because i really enjoyed watching lebron and i wish that 
I'm the guy that likes to uh, stir the pot and be like, oh, LeBron's the goat, even though I know he's not. And then, like, I watch that and I'm like, oh, man, how can I even make that joke ever again? It's like, it's impossible anymore, right? Like, yeah, there's no one like he is such an alpha. Oh, my God. Yeah, I haven't watched it. I've got to go and get into it. God damn it. Toby. I do. I do want to watch it. Like I grew up. You got to understand that the, the cultural <laughs> significance of of MJ, like it, globally he he reached outside of basketball reached outside of the states you know so there are professional athletes all around the world who wanted 23 as their number so shane warren in australia who's a leg spin bowler that means nothing to any of you guys but he's like a generational bowler and he had 23 on his back because he was just like just after MJ, like just because he wanted to have MJ's number on when his back. When you say bowler, why don't you why don't you explain what you mean by a bowler? It's a pitcher. Yeah, in what <laughs> I don't know sport? why it's called bowling, dude. I, I didn't name it. In what sport? Cricket, cricket. Sorry, Correct. cricket. There you go. Now, Apologies. now the Americans understand what you're talking about. No, they don't. So he's like <laughs> he's so spin <laughs> leg spin is like abroad, they do. leg spin's like knuckleball. Like they, it's really hard to control, but when they get it dialed in, they're just unstoppable. They just tear you, tear your batsmen apart, huh. tear you, tear your uh, hitters apart. Dudes, that's time. We've gone a little bit <laughs> Sorry over. Sorry about my technical difficulties. Brutal. Take your techni- technician out the back and shoot him or her. It's my grandma, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. We'll see, see you next week. week.